Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I am your host. Joined as ever by my co-host, Andrew. Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you, my friend. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And we are covering a a, a doozy here on the Cold Film Companion Podcast. We are dipping our toes into two cult favorites Bruce Campbell, of course, probably best known as for his role of Ash in the Evil Dead series, and uh, writer-director Don Coscarelli, probably best known for this movie that we're covering, and also the Phantasm horror franchise. We are talking about 2002's Bubba Hotep. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Is interesting because it, it's one of the things that I found very interesting was Don Coscarelli's quote about when he was filling out applications to submit this movie to film festivals. You have to put a you have to check a box for the genre, and uh oh, yeah. I mean, this movie is a very dark comedy. There's elements of horror. It's a drama. It, this movie kind of has it all. It's mm-hmm. uh, Bubba, of course, refers to a redneck, good old boy, mm-hmm. southern kind of person. And uh, Hotep is a um, surname for uh, an Egyptian pharaoh. And uh, this movie is about Elvis, portrayed by Bruce Campbell, a man who thinks that he is... JFK, performed by Aussie Davis. The other uh, roles worth noting. There's not. This this is very much kind of a a a two, a well a three man show. We got Elvis, JFK, the Mummy, portrayed by Bob Ivy, and the other name worth noting is of course Ella Joyce as the the head nurse Mm -hmm. in this movie. Uh, Bubba Hotep was written and directed by Don Coscarelli. It was adapted from the novella by Joe R. Lonsdale by the same name, which is contained in his book of short stories, The King is Dead, Tales of Elvis Postmortem, which, if you can track it down, is worth a read. Uh, it's a very interesting uh, collection of stories about what would what would happen if Elvis hadn't died when he died? And so so wait a minute. So there's more than one short story with this premise about Elvis being alive and doing his own thing. I haven't read it, uh, but from the title, I'm guessing yes. So um, that's the title of the collection of short stories. Yes, the King is Dead: Tales of Elvis Postmortem. There is, you, you know, yeah. Go ahead. There was talks uh, when this movie 
became as popular as it did and it attained the level of cult status that it has of doing a sequel or at least a continuation or maybe a prequel, maybe not necessarily with the with the mummy. There is a joke about Elvis fighting vampires at the end of the movie. Well, and the sequel is Nosferatu, isn't it? it well, that was the talks. Okay, but it never happened? It never happened. But there was a sequel, wasn't there? I think there's a comic book sequel. A comic book uh, sequel. I think, th- I think that there are... Um, the, 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 this lore of Elvis fighting the undead, I think, has lived on. You know, I tried to get my mitts on the short story that this is based on, on Bubba Hotep, the, the short story. Uh, and I thought maybe I could get it ordered and delivered before we recorded. It was, there was, there was uh, I could only find one copy for about 60 or 70 bucks. Yeah. It's that, it's, it's, so it's that rare. It's, uh, Joe Lonsdale's kind of a, another cult, I would say cult author. If you have the uh, Blu-ray or DVD of, the, of the, the movie, which I do, there is Lonsdale reading like the first scene of the movie um word for word from the book and just from that little taste and from the interviews with Coscarelli and with um Bruce Campbell th- this is very much a very faithful adaptation almost word for word especially with the dialogue yeah um the only thing is there is a um a narrator in the short story there's also a narrator which we just watched in the deleted scene Right. They had a narration. They had a third-party narrator for the movie, a comment, kind of an omnipotent you know, voice, and they took it out because it was too much, and I, I think it they is, were right in it, doing that. It's distracting because we already have the inner monologue of Elvis. That's right. And then to, to have another yeah. voiceover, it, it, like when we were watching the scene, it's almost like uh, competing... Yeah, voiceovers or dueling, like they're having a conversation. It's it kind yeah. of, it takes you out of. I think it would work well if this was the audiobook version of the uh, of the story. But as far as the movie itself, with the visuals going on, and then to have two different mo- two different voiceovers, it's too and, much. And I think I I think I I'm coming to learn that I prefer films without narration for the most part. The Blade Runner without narration, definitely. Um, I don't, I don't need to be spoon fed, you know, stuff. Uh, I, I would rather have the silence and just watch what's going on and it's the take it show from there. Don't, the show don't tell. Yeah. Rule. I mean, yeah. because a film is an audio visual medium. Yes. But you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're, you're juggling the audio and the visual correctly. Yeah. And then you don't really need that extra expository, basically. Exactly. You know, which I I, I think I, I I like audiobooks. I like listening to performances of pieces with um, done just with audio wise and having different act voice actors portray different characters. But as far as an audio visual medium, yeah, I I'm kind of I'm with you that I I, I don't need to be yeah if I need to be spoof, well. If I need to be spoon-fed something through that much narration, you you might have picked the wrong medium to ex- to um, to express yourself, you know. Yeah. And I there's there's a movie Charles Grodin did uh, back in the seventies. It was kind of like a nifty whodunit th- thriller or something. I'm not quite sure, uh, but they, I remember reading that they had put in a, they test screened it, 
and then decided they were going to put in a narration, brought Charles Grodin back to do the narration, and then I think ultimately they decided to take, take out the narration. So it's like something Hollywood does on a regular basis. Yeah, it's, and, um, I mean, going back to our own show, uh, Dune, the David Lynch version. Oh, right. We've got this huge exposition dump at the beginning of the movie that I, oh, that well, I you ranted hate. about. Right, right, well, right, I, right. Yeah. Let's not get into that. And uh, then Blade, like you mentioned, Blade Runner has, there's, I, there's got to be like half a dozen different cuts of the movie. Right. Some of which have the voiceover narration. Well, and the thing with Baba Hotep is that there's so much of it that's inside the uh, the, the elderly home uh, that's so atmospheric that uh, a narration would distract from that, in my opinion, as well, too. I mean, I'd rather just watch them roaming around these halls and uh, figuring stuff out. Yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, so let's uh, let's talk some Bubba Hotep. Uh, yeah. Just some of the technical notes. The cinematography was done by Adam Gennaro. It was edited by Scott J. Gill and Donald Milne. The music was done by Brian Tyler, who at the time was an up-and-coming composer and is now a, a pretty prominent name when it comes to um, uh, tracking movies musically. And... As mentioned, this this was this this started out as a very low budget independent movie. The original budget for this was only five hundred thousand dollars, which at the time was about one percent of an average big budgeted Hollywood movie, which is which is saying something. How much did it make? It grossed eventually over one point five million. Okay. And this is this movie is interesting because it it established itself as a cult movie even before it had wide distribution because there was only thirty two prints of this movie made. This movie was shot on film. Thirty two prints were made, and it was circulated amongst film festivals and through various different. And gained a lot of word of mouth. All of a sudden, uh, venues or festivals were. Uh, ordering advanced copies of it, knowing that there were only limited right. amounts of prints. You know, I think people kind of... I, I think a lot of the hook of the movie was to, like, Bruce Campbell as Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> fighting which, a mummy. Which came into being uh, because... Uh, is it Castorelli? Am I saying that right? Coscarelli. Coscarelli. Coscarelli uh, had... Do, did you did you know about this, about the Sam Raimi call... Cosca, I read this. I saw this interview uh, on YouTube. Coscarelli got uh, a call from Sam Raimi. Uh, he he um, he got a message that he had been, or he had gotten a voicemail from someone saying that, or no, that's what it was. Someone impersonating Sam Raimi called him and said, "Would you like to join me for this uh, screening of Close Encounters of the Third Kind?" And he thought that that was interesting. So he talked to Sam Raimi about it. Sam Raimi was like, I'm not doing that. I don't know who that was that called you. Right. But it started a conversation between the two of them. And uh, Cascarelli. Coscarelli. You know what? <laughs> Coscarelli. Coscarelli. Coscarelli then mentioned Bubba Hotep and uh, told him what it was about. And Sam Raimi said, oh, right away. He was like, you should get Bruce Campbell as Elvis. Right. And it stuck with Coscarelli. Um, he actually, you know, it kicked around in his head a little bit. 
because he was thinking of doing someone who would actually be that age at that time, right. like a Robert Vaughn or something like that. Would have been, I think, sixty-seven. Yeah, at the time. around sixty-seven years old. They sure. wanted they uh, the, the basis they, of the and, movie and, is uh, that uh, yeah. Elvis had replaced himself, and this goes to the theme of the movie about fleeting fame and whatnot, and not really appreciating what you have at the time. About Elvis trading places with an Elvis impersonator. And um, eventually ending up in this this retirement home in Texas. Yeah, it was like a Prince and the Pauper type of scenario, right? Where they right. traded places. Yeah, and it and it works. It totally works. You totally buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and I loved Bruce Campbell as as Elvis. Uh, and it's interesting that Ozzie Davis, who plays uh, John F. Kennedy, who's been dyed black basically, is is the age that is the same age as JFK. Or, yes, they were the born. Same. They, they were born in the same year. Yeah. yeah. So you've got someone who is the age-appropriate, uh, you know, actor for the character, and then you've got Bruce Campbell who is playing much older and has all that prosthetic makeup and two hours, two hours of prosthetic makeup for every day, huh? Every day. Woo! He had to. Sh- he showed up uh, three hours before everyone, anybody else showed up on set to get. Under all that prosthetics, and there was a bodysuit to give Elvis a gut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's interesting that you've got the the juxtaposition. You've got someone who is the same age as the character, and then someone who's playing older, um, and they're working together. They're they're the two buddies. They're the main peeps in our movie here, and in. Uh, for all intents and purposes, those are the two that we are focused on. It's basically a story about the two of them. It's a buddy flick, you know? I mean, it's other stuff as well, but that's the heart of it and the central, you know, the central uh, nucleus of it, basically. Because we have once... It's interesting, once that uh, (laughs) uh, Ossie Davis as, as Jack or JFK, he makes Elvis, you know... I guess, uh, convince him that he had nothing to do with the assassin. I guess it would have been an assassination attempt and not an actual assassination on him back in... Uh... What, has, is there? T- I mean, I should know since I'm such a conspiracy nut. Is there a conspiracy talk about Elvis being involved with JFK's assassination? Oh, no. I, I, can't, I, I can't. I can't think of any possibly connect dots like that. But he needs he needs Elvis <laughs> to convince him. You know, and he says, "You know, I uh, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know Jack Ruby or Lee Harvey Oswald. I had nothing or to Sarah do with that. Man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because we have Ossie Davis as as a man who's convinced that his mind has been replaced with a bag of sand. The CIA has dyed him black and are hiding him in this. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I wouldn't. It's not so far-fetched to me. Knowing what I know, it's not so far-fetched. So I, I kind of take it at face value with both of these characters that they are who they say they are. They're and I think that's the point. You're supposed to kind of just go along with it. You just go along for the ride. Yeah. Because, I mean, we have the opening scene, which, I mean, it, it, it can't be a turn-off to the I, I would say the wrong audience member is basically Elvis talking about the cancerous tumor that he has on his genitalia. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's a, there's a lot going on with that. It comes back around and around and and our our poor nurse Ella is Ella the actress or is a Ella, Ella the nurse? I don't think the the nurse is given a name. Ella Joyce is the actress who plays the nurse. Then we then we will call her Ella. Who has to uh 
drain the pus. But um, it's actually the um, the whole procedure and uh, Elvis's lack of getting an erection and not having en- energy downstairs is a lot more graphic in the uh, the novella. And I think when I know when Bruce accepted the role that that was one of the first things he said was like, "You're not going to show it, are you? If you're going to sh- if you're going to show it, I don't want to do it." I think the story is actually funnier because <laughs> he called up Coscarelli and he said, "Are you going to show it?" And he's like. Show what? Because you know, the cancerous. Are you gonna show? He goes, no, it's not that kind of movie. You know, you're not. I mean, one of the things you could say about yes, the phantasm movies are some of them are gorier and more violent than others, but it, compared to other horror franchises, the violence is a lot more subdued. Uh, Coscarelli was never one to go too gory. Okay. I mean, so, so, and, and and in this case, showing showing that that diseased penis would be too gratuitous, maybe. It's not. Or I don't know if gratuitous is even I the think right it word. Actually, I think it 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 kind of. I, I mean, think it's why one of those you, things that you don't need to I think see whatever it. you make up in your mind what it looks like. Yeah. is probably a lot worse than the, what if they actually designed it. Yeah. I think well, it actually I works mean, better by not seeing it because just like the description, because maybe for a female. You would be like, oh, it's just a cancer too. But as a male viewer watching it, like I'm just imagining it. I'm like, no, that's enough to just yeah, imagine it. Just... And we have enough scenes where it's talked about, and she's she's actually touching it, and it, and and then it does come to life. That is a big turning point for Elvis right. in the movie. And it's funny we were talking about female trouble and how John Waters had no problem showing basically a diseased penis in that. Yeah, uh, and right. I, I was riffing on that for a while. Uh, so it'd be interesting. It would be. Very interesting to imagine what Bubba Hotep would have been like under uh, John Waters' direction. Oh, we would have seen. We, <laughs> yeah, we would have seen everything. We would I'm have sure. seen everything. <laughs> but that being said, just just you know, just I think the, the description is enough. And like I said, if you really want to get into it, uh, it's a lot more graphic in the novella. Okay, the, the description and the I description think of the the, the tumor and. Releasing the pus and all that kind of stuff. So uh, what? I mean, what? What's the metaphor here? Like, you know, I mean, I think it's uh, uh, we don't need fleeting, to. I think it's kind of the metaphor of the fleeting youth. Yeah, and, and once uh, and once and how once we get old. I mean, I you know, I'm I'm only in my fifties, but still, I feel it. And it's like stuff starts going. It starts going by the wayside and your health starts, you know, you're, you don't bounce back with your health as much as you do. There's there's some so, very interesting talk about this, about how the king of rock and roll, the, the this man that made all the ladies swoon is no longer, I think he prefer, he's like a, no longer seen as a sexually viable threat or like... <laughs> Like there's a talk about, um, and that was the big room, that his, was the big thing with Elvis was his hip gyrations for the 1950s, was uh was was part of his success was part of the right. uh, was part of the scandalous success of Elvis quote unquote yeah. you know in the in the 50s wasn't it they, they don't shoot below his right, waist right like when he was on a uh, you know, TV shows and and stuff was, yeah they don't shoot below his waist yeah the gyrating hips are too much for the American public can't take yeah it. well and I now mean, we they... now we have poor Elvis who you know. He can't even barely get out of bed. He's looking and, around in a walker. And... That's right, and cer- certainly can't uh, y- y- 
use his equipment anymore. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, and that's one of the things that I... Uh, so to take that away, to take the sexuality away from Elvis, that's basically what's going on here. Right. And he's and he's very vocal about it, in his, at least in his um, narration reveries, yeah. narrative rev- reveries. Uh, and and that is something that's a, a central another central point for this movie is like he's he, he's not sexual anymore. We have yet. Elvis and JFK both throughout the course of this movie reflecting back on their on their, their youth. And and it's a good it's a good time to mention. Sorry, I keep interrupting. Uh, it's a good time to mention that this in there has been talk about this. This is maybe it's definitely one of the few movies about the elderly. And it might be one of the only horror movies set in an elderly home. I would say yes, until it came to light, I think last year. And I, if I'd known you were going to bring this up, I would have done a little bit more research. George Romero actually made a horror movie about a retirement home. Did he? And it was about the horrors of getting old and the elderly. What's it called? Do you I, know? I want to say it's called a think it's called amusement park or something I'll, wow well that's, we're a, done with the, that's enough information to to you know run with on google at i least. think it was made if you're familiar with george romero it, it re- remained unreleased until i believe last year it was kind of like an unearthed romero movie i think he was he was he was contracted to make one thing, and he did another kind of thing. <laughs> Love it, and well, I, and so like I, it, it remained unreleased. Um, but I it, I don't think it's a full length movie. I want to say it's just a little over an hour. But yeah, okay. Um, so we have it makes me interested a- in seeing it. It makes me interested in seeing it because I I definitely appreciate, especially as I get older. Movies about people who are onward in their years, in their twilight years. Right. There needs to be more of that in our culture in general. There's not much respect given, no. you know, to to the elderly, and it's just like these people have lived lives, yeah. and they have stories to tell, and they have wisdom to impart. Right. You know, and and they're so widely ignored. You know, it's kind. Of, we we culture. put them in this retirement home. One of the one of the most telling scenes is the daughter of uh, of. Elvis's roommate comes to pick up her. De- her father de- dies at the beginning of the movie. Yep, um, his room. That's right. And she's just kind of cleaning out his stuff, and you know, this man or- earned a Purple Heart probably in World War Two. She um, dumps that thing in the wastebasket. And uh, yeah, it's just telling because Elvis is like, it's kind of jokey. He's like, "Well, can I have that box of chocolates?" <laughs> and the, <laughs> right. that Purple Heart. He was pretty proud of that Purple Heart. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, we kind of put these people in this, in a home and kind of, uh, you've, you've done your time. Yeah. (laughs) Tuck them away and then forget about them. And that's what this, uh, is it, is it her, his daughter, the roommate's daughter, niece, I can't remember. She's she's young though. She's just out of her teenage years, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yes, yeah, granddaughter. <laughs> but it's set up right away um, that that how the young generation is dismissive of the elderly generation. Um, so, and you and you get that you and it hurts. You feel that you feel that at the beginning of the movie right away. You know. And then we, but we have this the discovery that this this mummy, which was was traveling um, from museum to museum. 
on display, so to speak, was uh, was robbed, and during the robbery, he ended. They they ended up crashing, and then this mummy was released from its tomb, and it, <laughs> I almost I'm almost glad that there isn't a sequel because a mummy is the perfect villain to put up against the elderly. Because they're both, sure, you're they're right. both moving out. The, right. Know. Dusty, old, decrepit. So the, I didn't even put that together. That's, vampire, that's very... A, a vampire would be a little too um, agile, yeah. I think. As a, as a, I mean, and that's kind of the thing with the mummy movies is kind of like, I mean, other than the, the modern mummies, they're running around and they're moving quickly. But I mean, the old school mummy... Was like walking at a snail's pace. Right. And, it's... and I always thought, same thing with zombie movies before 28 Days Later when they became fast. They were usually very slow. Right. And I always thought that about zombie movies and those mummy movies. Just like, I could outrun them, you know. Just, that's you, You've got the advantage. Yeah. They're moving slowly. And I did watch uh, a few scenes from the original Mummy uh, before recording this. Uh, and I'd forgotten. I think I'd seen it when I was a kid. Boris Karloff. 1930s. It is actually a good flick. Uh, and uh, Coscarelli had watched this, and I think there is a character in it called I'm Hotep. I'm Hotep. Emotep. Emotep. And that's when he thought to himself, well, if this were set in Texas, it would be Bubba Hotep. Right. It was actually, <laughs> and that's uh, when that the idea actually, started. Uh, Lonsdale, not Coscarelli. Oh, is okay. Lonsdale. Oh, who wrote the, the short who, story? Who wrote the short story. Thank you. Gotcha. Saw the um, yeah. He kind of he took he took the the mummy and then he took kind of like tabloid headlines of like Elvis lives and like like all that kind of stuff like Elvis sightings and um, started mixing the two kinda, together. Yeah, you just so like yeah. It makes me want to read his work. It really does. I just and I I want to tell the listener that I tried to uh, prepare for this podcast by doing some. Uh, intensive research into the Egyptian aspect of this film and this story and I really couldn't get anywhere with it. No, I don't think I don't think Lonsdale Lonsdale is much more interested in creating these very what a fantastical type fantastical of fantastical elements. Yeah. I don't think yeah. he's not it's interested its own in world. realism, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, and the hieroglyphics that they see in the sky with the constellations and whatnot yes. aren't aren't really the Hierog- aren't really hieroglyphics. No. In fact, uh, some of them are showing uh, characters doing um, b- uh, certain things, sexual things or whatnot, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> Coscarelli actually talked about um, choosing the hieroglyphics to reflect more, not the actual translation from Egyptian to um, reality. But, but more like a stick figure charade. Just kind of like a, a, a yeah, a, yeah. A reference to the characters, okay, or some of the scenes. I mean, one of the th- one of the the insults that the mummy says he speaks hieroglyphics, and when I say that, I mean like he talks, and then hieroglyphics come out of his mouth. Yeah. Out the <laughs> I love it. It's like uh, it's something like kiss the anus of Anubis, Anubis's dog or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> well, and this is what the mummy does. The mummy sucks the souls out, and this is important, sucks the souls out of your uh, anal orifice, basically, before he kills you. So it's terrible. It's like your soul. I mean, that your soul, which is supposed to go on to purgatory or wherever, heaven, hell, uh, 
is instead, you know, in the. It's also degrading. It is degrading. <laughs> it's in the, you know, it's in the in the lungs of yeah, this right. mummy. Now you were mentioning how the mummy has uh, a cowboy outfit on. Yes. And I think in the story itself, um, the mummy finds a cowboy outfit after the truck oh, crashes. Really? See, I, I and it and might have even gotten it from the driver that of the, was one of the of, truck. I that was one of the scenes that you know, due to the limited budget, they weren't able to to show. They wanted uh, to, to show the mummy rolling out of the 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 truck and like finding a, a cowboy outfit right, to put on. We, we don't. We, <laughs> we're we're shown one flashback of like when he looks directly into Elvis's eyes. Like we get these quick flashes of, e- of Egyptian kind of... Um, yeah, that's right. Getting the, your, yep. your brain removed from your nose and like... Yep, yep. Almost like uh, almost like an MK Ultra flashback or something like... Um, oh, Hugh Jack... Like Wolverine in the X-Men movies. How, X, how he has those traumatic flashbacks of um, being tortured, basically. So... Well, he wasn't tortured. Basically, what he they is. Did, well, they, no, they put they put an adamantium into his body because he could, he's the only one that could survive the the, the metal the metal skeletal right. Yeah, but I mean can't... that's torture. It is. It's painful. It's a very traumatic experience. Well, depending on the the X Men movie, and we'll quickly get off of X Men. Right. But um, he either asked for this operation to be done or was tricked into it. Anyway, that's X-Men lore that gets complicated. But uh, Elvis sees, he see he has visions, and he sees things when uh, this mummy looks directly into his right, eyes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah. We, we, yeah, we're not given any context to why the mummy is wearing snakeskin boots and has a vest <laughs> and a cowboy hat. A ten-gallon cowboy hat. Just because it, it looks visually very interesting. And the um, it's worth noting that... Um, KMB Effects, which are the go-to effects company for practical effects now in Hollywood, especially in the horror genre, did design the—I mean—designed this mummy costume basically for free. It was basically Coscarelli it, it was able to come up with the money for the the materials that were necessary to create the mummy. Basically, a full body suit. I mean, it was a basically yeah. a full body suit. Mm-hmm. You don't um, really see any any human anything. No, um, underneath it all. And ba- basically, there's no CGI done with them. Is there? Is there I CGI being done with the mummy at all? No, it's it's it, all just like it's camera very, angles very and practi- lighting. Yeah, very and very practical. Body suit. There's um, uh, Bob Ivy who portrays Bubba Hotep. Uh, wore, wore the full body costume. Bubba Hotep is the name of the mummy, mummy by the way. Yeah. Yeah, go and, ahead. And uh, he, he wears the mummy costume. He had contacts in. Uh, wow. Uh, everything was very, I mean, I don't think they really had the money for CGI. I don't, I, I don't think so either. It was all very, very. Because um, everything with the cockroaches is oh, the puppetry. Oh, the, the big No CGI. Beetles. No. Yeah. No, it's, it, I mean, it, it sticks out like a sore thumb because you could tell that it's, you know, it's a it's, big it's hilar- rubber. It's, it's hilarious. It's a big rubber beetle flying around the room. But, well, like, and it's hilarious. This is, this is the tightrope that they walk between horror and comedy. 
throughout the whole thing. Right. It's right. hilarious, but you know, oh, scary too. Scaramouche type yeah, of, you know, I, scary. I, I, I think that if it was a more serious movie, they probably would have tried to go for something more realistic, more threatening, because I mean, this this goofy thing. But <laughs> I love Elvis, it. Elvis I lo- skewers that beetle oh, and yeah. torches it. <laughs> like like a bond, you know, like uh, like roasting marshmallows his, over a bonfire. His confrontation with that beetle is it's, great it's, physical comedy. It's wonderful. The beetle's <laughs> hiding in his bedpan. He's looking around. <laughs> you can't find it. He ends, yeah, he ends up like tossing it into a, a little personal heater that he has down by his bedside. <laughs> it's just, I mean, it, it it's just works so well because it's a horror comedy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then, uh, and then, underneath the horror comedy, you've got this wonderful budding uh, friendship between between Elvis and JFK. Yeah, it's uh-huh. just it, it's it's such a fun movie. Oh, it's it's a wonder. <laughs> it's it's and I say I've said this about other movies that we've watched, but it it did affect me the similarly as Repo Man in terms of being a very special little flick. You know, right. something it's... that you would show to someone that you trust. <laughs> you don't want you don't want to show it to the wrong person who won't like it. No, you know? because like I said, yeah, that's why I said about the opening scene. Like, if you don't know, like, it could easily be a turnoff. Be like, I don't want to hear Elvis talk about a cancerous tumor on his penis. Yeah. Like, you, know, you could be like, no, there's more to it. He's going to fight a mummy. There's, yeah. there's a guy who thinks he's JFK. Just like, I mean, there's, there's so much more going on with the movie. But for a movie shot for uh, half a million dollars for 30 days, actually... In Downey, California, mm-hmm. uh, which is outside of L.A., mm-hmm. the majority of it, they found, um, Coscarelli found an abandoned veterans hospital. Mm-hmm. And they basically, to do the interiors. Yeah. And you can, I could tell that the interiors were definitely a different location than the exteriors of the of the retirement home. Sure. Yeah. And then they kind of shot around L.A. in a... Uh, for the park scene, it's one of the parks outside of L.A. And okay. For the bridge scene. Um, the movie is actually set in Mud Creek, Texas, which is an actual location. But yeah, filmed and, filmed in um, and what's L- filmed in L.A. Filmed in out, L.A. Or the burbs of L.A. Yeah. And what's the name of the retirement home? It's called Shady Rest. I think. I think Sh- Shady Rest, which yeah and, tickles um, me. So yeah, we have we have Elvis and JFK who who are given this last um. This last hurrah, like their last curtain call, mm-hmm. they're kind of rejuvenated in their quest to to rid the retirement home of this mummy. Of this soul-sucking mummy. Soul-sucking mummy. I mean, really, these people who are dying in this home are going to have their souls um, sucked into this, basically, this evil entity, you know? And so they, that's a big, well, that's, that's a big act of, you know, uh, that's that's a big act of... of um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're they're doing a a major act for humanity they're by heroes. saving souls. They're yeah. saving. They're going to be saving souls by killing this mummy, they're basically including rescuing their own souls, becoming the heroes that they used to be in their youth. Ah, Elvis. Was I a love he- it. Yes, I love it. And, Elvis know, was a hero to, to to people. JFK was a hero to people. That's right. And now here they are, in their sixties or seventies, forgotten, forgotten. Or, yeah, you know, right. not necessarily forgotten, but dismissed because no one's going to believe that they are who they say they are. Right. They're basically just two guys, you know, who are on their way out of life 
and on the very, very, very sidelines of society now. It's very interesting also to kind of see this brief evolution over like probably the course of a week of them kind of discovering the mummy to the final confrontation. Where they battle the mummy. Where they battle the mummy. The And I mean, at first Elvis has got like, he's in a robe and in a walker. But in the last confrontation, he puts on the old he's white. Got, that's he's right. Got the jumpsuit back on. <laughs> and JFK's got a he's suit got, on. He's in a suit. Uh-huh. Yep. So I I want to I also want to say at this juncture that if if something like this could happen to me in my last years of life it I would be so happy I would be so happy and I've been I've been in certain uh, institutions I haven't been in jail but I've been I've been in other, I've been in other ones but it's like you do make buddies and so there is hope thinking of my future it, if I end up in some sort of retirement home that's paid by, I don't know, Medicaid, <laughs> you know, maybe I can meet a buddy and we can have an adventure like this right before we die. Yeah. You know, I, I would be okay with that. It's a really, in that respect, it's a very uplifting flick. It is. Uh-huh. Uh, I, we're, I mean, because they all, they're talking about how um, Elvis talks about, like, He's he's lying in bed. He goes. He's thinking about what happened with his wife. He never. I guess contractually they can say Priscilla or. Uh, they do. They do. He does mention her name. Oh, he does say Priscilla. He does. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he talks about like like even if he they just couldn't use his songs, which was fine because Bruce didn't want to sing. He can't sing. No, they they couldn't <laughs> use. They 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 said the license just one Elvis song would have cost half their budget. Yeah. And there was fuck it. Um, so, but we, we, it's enough. You don't need to hear any of that. No, even just, the, even, even that Bruce, seems like in the flashback, the flashbacks of the old Elvis is great. It's seeing him so much fun, seeing him mix it up on stage, doing all the Elvis poses and stuff. <laughs> it, it's great. You don't need, you don't need the song because, well, the, Brian Tyler did a great job. Like the, the song that they're playing at the time is very reminiscent of like a rockabilly yeah. kind of Elvis tune. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't license any Elvis music. They couldn't license. There's a scene where he's lying in bed watching the 24 hour Elvis movie marathon. They couldn't license. They couldn't show any, any of the that. Movies. He talks about his regrets about letting Colonel Parker talk him into, I mean, he could have, he could have, um, I guess he had potential to be a serious actor at some well, point. Well, you know, Streisand, right when he died, around when he died, Streisand wanted him for her movie version of A Star is Born. And it's pretty much surmised that the colonel talked Elvis out of it. And Priscilla has said herself that it would have been good for Elvis to have Probably, done that. Yeah. We'll never know, because yeah. my only familiarity with Elvis movies is they're very kind of goofy. His first one, I think it's called King Creole with Walter Matthau, is actually good. And he's actually good at it. It's a black and white movie, and he's he's good. Mm-hmm. And then he did all the other stuff. The schlock, basically. The schlock, yeah. 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 yeah um, he could have had maybe you know the crossover appeal that someone like uh, Frank Sinatra had. Sure. For, um, you know, but yeah. we, we will never know. No. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. Because uh, despite what this movie will, will tell you... Uh, I'm 99% sure that Elvis is dead. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I would love to believe that he's uh, still but kicking it in, in a retirement home. But Coscarelli even talks about how Elvis died. He was like, did Elvis die? 
die on the toilet? And he's like, I don't think so. That's what Coscarelli says. Yeah. So there is, there is, um, there is a lot of fog around how Elvis actually died or, right. or I, disappeared from our, from our, uh, our, you know, our, uh, our world. It's one of those from things culture. like you, you don't want to, you don't want to let go. You have your, sure. you have the diehard fans that still go to Graceland. Sure. Um, have you been there? No. Yeah, I've been to Graceland. Have I've toured you? it. I've toured it. Yeah. Is he really buried in Graceland? I think so. Yeah. I, I think. Know. I don't like that. I know. I know. <laughs> kind of tacky. I think when I did the tour, actually, his mother still lived in the house, and I think we saw her. She came out of a door and left during the tour. Oh, wow. And we were all talking like, I think that's Elvis's mother. Because she still lived there. Why not? <laughs> I, I, I think it would be more dignified to put if he was in a cemetery surrounded by people instead of... Yeah, I know. It's, alone. It's, you know, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, it's kind of lonely. But that, 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 again, goes to this movie's themes of being alone. We have yeah. these characters that... Uh, well, Elvis has a roommate, but uh, Ossie Davis, Jack... He's got a he's got a, a single suite at this retirement home with well, pictures of Oswald and the, <laughs> Jack the, Ruby yeah on his wall. There's a mini <laughs> there's like a mini diagram display of the of um, Dallas Texas the uh, <laughs> of the building and like, oh the, for heaven's yeah, sake the assassination the, scene yeah he's got like a little <laughs> he's got like a diorama display there <laughs> oh heavens. All so, right. uh, but yeah, th- these are very lonely characters, and they 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 connect, and they kind of have something that connects them, and then they they generally become friends, and and then warriors together. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. To it is see. exciting. <laughs> you you get like it's almost like an eighties uh, action movie. You got them synchronizing watches. Yep. But then you get the joke. They're like, it was like or we'll meet up at two forty five a.m. And then, like, uh, Jack is like, well, the rate we move, let's let's start moving at 2.30. <laughs> Which is it's just great. I mean, you got them, them both gearing up for battle. Elvis with his walker and JFK with his wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> Going to battle with this mummy, it's... It's, it's priceless. Yeah. It really is. It's, it's, it's great, and... Um, yeah, you you kind of miss this. I, I I miss this in modern horror movies. The reliance on CGI. I mean, we've got it's all it's all practical here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this the, was this the, was made in the early two thousands, right? They yeah. could have easily. Well, the budget forbade them from yeah. doing that, but st- it, forgivingly so. So we've got a real explosion. The trailer park scene. There's a flashback yeah. of him losing the contract. Was done in one take. They. And the contract's in the trailer that blows up, and I saw... You see this trailer actually blow up. This is it's no hilarious. CGI. It's hilarious. They actually blew up a trailer. Well, and I read in the trivia on IMDb, they were like, that was done in one take. I'm like, well, how else could you have done it? Right? You, had, they got, you they got better very, do it in lucky. one take. Yeah. You, got no, this you can't is afford genuine, to do it twice. Genuine explosion, and then when they set Bubba Hotep on fire, you really got a man set on fire here. Mm. Uh, Bob Ivey... Was a stuntman. Was a stuntman. But um, one with not a typical stuntman in that he didn't have the, uh, let's see, the, the the ego, perhaps, that a lot of stuntmen have. And he went, loved doing something that was um, of this ilk. 
where he got to play a mummy, you know, in yeah, this context. Was, he loved the story. So he was a stuntman, but but basically basically approached it as a character actor. Right. Yeah. Uh, the only person that I can think of similarly that did the, something like that was um, Kane Hodder, who portrayed Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th. I think he's the I think he's portrayed the character the most uh basically is is kind of a fan favorite as the best portrayal of Jason Voorhees. Okay. Uh, cuz he he approached Jason as a as, as, as a, a character, character. Actor. he added little nuances with the movement cuz very similar to Bob Ivy, well, Jason Voorhees that never talks. Uh Bubba Hotep I think only talks in Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> so you, you you have to kind of really... Um, it's physical acting. It's yep. all physical acting yep. that you've got to do. That's um, right. I mean, someone right. like uh, Robert Eglin that portrayed Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger's got a lot of personality. He's got quips. He's got one-liners. He's got threatening dialogue. Yep. Um, so you need you an get actor. The, you, you get the... Yeah, you get yeah. the... Di- uh, you, you get... Um, more personality coming across when you're portraying someone like the mummy or a mummy who's all wrapped up, you know, in gauze. I mean, we, we don't get that here. We basically have a skeleton yeah. kind of and, and, in cowboy boots. And very effective, too. Just once again, the physicality of it. He moves very slowly, but very threateningly and menacingly. The looks that he gives um, are slow. His head turns very slowly. It's all... Done very effectively, and they did something. Every you'll notice that in all the scenes with the weird things are happening with the lights and the electricity going. Yeah, like the lights are going on and off. Yep, and, and um, they added that scene with uh, with Ella seeing the electricity going off in one of the cabins. They added that in post production, by the yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. Just to um, kind of give a little, little bit more of a threat of the mummy's presence. It's and it's it's interesting to see. I mean, we've got. I mean, they're not young. They're younger than Elvis and Jack. But we have the hot. We have the the administrator of the the home and the nurse having a conversation about the lights going wacky and the and the shit. Right. And they're very dismissive of it. Whereas the people that actually live here are being like, you know. You screwed around with, effed screwed, with, yeah. yeah. And then we've got the two guys who take the the corpses of the dead elderly basically out, right. and they're they're very flippant. Well, one of them actually says, "Like, uh, do you ever do you ever wonder about these guys and their stories and what they have to tell?" And the other guy's like, "Who cares?" Yeah, he's like, "No, yeah, yeah." <laughs> they're, they're kind of it's it's weird. They're kind of like the goofy comic relief mm-hmm. uh, because a lot of the other comedies kind of play it's. Played, they're very. They're kind of like over the top. They did. They, there's a slapstick be, scene where yeah. one of the one of them goes over the railing with the yeah. dead body, flips up in the air. Yeah, it could be. A, they could be Abbott and Costello. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or like th- you know the two of the three Stooges or something. Yeah. But like everything else is played very seriously. Uh uh-huh. Played very deadpan, which, uh-huh. which makes it funny. Mm-hmm. We have um, Ossie Davis taking uh, Bruce Cable into the bathroom. <laughs> For some reason, Bubba Hotep has written on the bathroom walls. It's <laughs> <laughs> just bizarre that he's written in hieroglyphics, basically that he's coming for the souls of the people in this home. And I can only imagine that like everyone else that goes to use this bathroom are just kind of like, yeah, 
Egyptian hieroglyphics. Okay, whatever. This is yeah. not what you usually <laughs> see written on a bathroom stall. Not in <laughs> Texas, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's but it, they play they they play the role so seriously that it just make it it, it makes you want to you spend time with these characters. Absolutely, and Ozzy Davis. I mean, there you know he there's there's definitely an honesty with what's going on with him, and you buy pretty much buy it 100%. You he do. You buy look, it 100%. He looks dignified. You just look at him and you're like, this is a dignified man. That's like, right. That's like, right. This is a man I will respect. And Elvis, on the other hand, is like, oh, he's got the, still got the big mutton chop sideburns <laughs> yeah. and, and his big glasses, so you're just kind of like, okay. Like, uh, Bruce I would, Campbell is wonderful in this. It's inspired, his performance. It really is. He could, You can tell he's in it 300%. Bruce loving, Campbell. loving what he... Apparently he was in character... All the time, off camera, all day long. He actually in record, character. He record. There is an entire. I only listened to the director and actor commentary, but if you, you you choose to, there's an entire commentary in character as Elvis about the movie. Wow. So well, there you have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just makes. What more do you want from an actor? I mean, <laughs> he's that, really yeah. Uh, Bruce Campbell always kind of like like he just goes for broke with his roles. Okay, see, I, I don't know his work that much. I've seen Evil Dead. I don't think I've even seen Army of Darkness, and I know him from those movies, which right. are very over the top, uh, campy, so to speak. You know, very, very much so. Now, I want to ask you, going back to what you said about how this movie was almost instantly a cult flick, this. So now I have to ask you, Chris, I know you say that you can't make a movie with the intent of it being a cult movie. Do you think that's the case with this? Do you think it happened by accident? Or do you think they thought to themselves, this will be a cult classic. It'll be a midnight movie classic. It'll be, you know. I I think that Coscarelli kind of just wanted, he just loved the material so much that he just kind of wanted, he strikes me as the kind of person that just makes like what he wants to do at this point. He's pretty much kind of established himself. He never, he never really became a mainstream director ever. Okay. Uh, ne- never be like the director for hire kind of thing. When I think of some of the uh, some of the choices that uh, Wes Craven or John Carpenter, other you know of the the same time frame kind of did some of their movies are very especially in the 90s are very hit and miss and they're just you could tell that their their heart and soul kind of wasn't really in not the case with Coscarelli no he uh he, phantasm was it, always his baby yeah and um like I was telling to you he did I, almost all of the sequels he did uh the first four and I think he co-directed the fifth but if he had just stuck as the the sole director he would have been I think the only director that has directed Every single entry into a horror franchise. Interesting. Now, I also want to note that when uh, Joe Lansdale was approached by Coscarelli to make Bubba Hotep, he had been approached by other directors to film other stories that he had written, but he thought that this one was the most unfilmable. So it, it, it was such a surprise to him to be approached about this particular story. Right. Uh, um, and didn't think it could be filmed. No, it's if you, the premise alone, is like, well, who, 
who's going to sign on to do this? Like, and, and, well, and I would think that everyone would, and that everyone would want to see it. Like, that's, I in, just in love that, just world. even on paper, I love the idea. See, I don't think that this was made with the intent of becoming a cult movie, because I, I think that well, after watching the finished product, they didn't think that it was going, like, no anybody was going to, like, see it. Okay. It's gonna be one it of those did things. get it right away though. It did start getting a lot of attention. I think people you, loved it. You had the right you had the right you had the names attached to it that people would be like Bruce Campbell, okay, Evil Dead, I'm a fan. Bruce Campbell as Elvis, I'm in. Yeah. But I think that if the movie wasn't the quality that it is, I think that that flame would have burned out quickly okay people instead of the word of mouth being like you need to watch this movie i think i showed you the quote on the back of the dvds one of the the critics said nothing should stop you from watching this movie which i okay. think is, which is great i think a lot of it would have been like yeah it's bruce campbell as elvis and it's not that good like i can't i can't imagine that playing out like that though. yeah for I mean, some reason I, it just I, seems I, I, like I, such a recipe for what what it became you right. know and it's funny i'd never ever heard of this movie you know and <laughs> yeah. it's not like i know every single movie in the world but i definitely have been a film buff most of my life right. so it surprised me that i had no idea and when i saw the trailer when you showed me the trailer i thought oh yeah yeah right. I'm, I'm definitely in <laughs> i remember i remember um this came into the video store when i was when i was working at a video store um and this was back you know you would get uh you worked at a video store okay oh yeah you yeah, too yeah. oh okay. yeah um Got to watch a lot of free movies. Right, I know. Good. That's kind of how it goes with people like you and me. You, and you, you know, of course, Tarantino started out that way, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to, you know, in a couple episodes from now, we're going to get into to some Tarantino talk. But um, Oh, right, we are. But I remember that this was one of the movies, like, when it was a big-name big movie, we'd get, like, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a, we were a mom-and-pop store, so we'd get, like, you know. Yep, same with me. We'd get half a dozen DVDs and, like, four VHS tapes. Bubba Hope Tap, we got one DVD, one VHS tape. <laughs> and I don't remember. I, I can't think of a single person. Um, who rented it? Well, who who didn't rent it um, not based on my recommendation to rent this movie. Okay. It wasn't something that, okay. uh, you know. And we I have that at our I store, too, staff picks. The Wall, the new releases. And it would be one of those movies that, you know, the new releases, like I said, we were it was a small hole-in-the-wall place. So, like, Friday, Saturday night, like, the new releases got picked quickly, you yep. know. And then it would be one of those people would say, you know, they knew me because I I, sometimes I worked there seven days a week. So, they, they, Chris, what's a good movie? And depending on the person, I would, you know, be like, Check this out, Bubba Hotep. You yeah. got it. You got <laughs> it. Like, we would do that too. I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's Elvis, an elderly Elvis fighting a mummy with his sidekick, uh, a black JFK. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you need to know? And then I kind of would know, like, the kind of people that'd be like, okay, um, I'll give this a shot. <laughs> but this was this was a, this was, a, this was a, a movie that you know, like, I would show my friends and recommend to my friends. Because, like, we'd have similar tastes in, like, bizarre movies. Or, like, we loved the Evil Dead movies, so we'd watch anything yeah. with um, with Bruce Campbell. I guess um, it should be noted as well that JFK, whether or not it's actually true, is kind of credited for championing the civil rights movement. I'm not, I should, you know, I should know more about this. Uh, so it's interesting that 
that Ozzie Davis, who is black, is playing JFK in this movie. You know? Did you know that Ozzie Davis gave the eulogy for Malcolm X? Did he? Yes. Okay, because I know he's been around a long time. He's, I did IMDb him. Yeah. He's been around a long time, of course. Actor, he was, writer, director. Yeah, he's... but I think he, I think he became known as a personality on variety shows um, before becoming a a, a known actor, a right. well known yeah. actor. Uh, but I didn't know that about a eulogy for Ma- Malcolm X that he had done. And that. they they were talking. They were like, okay, once we. I mean, Bruce Campbell was kind of like a, he was. It's very interesting. Both Bruce Campbell and Aussie Davis's both of their agents like said no to the script. Like, even before <laughs> Once again, <laughs> just like with um Repo Man and uh and uh, Harry Dean Stanton. Right. His exactly, agent was yeah. like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> yeah. Uh and Bruce Campbell just needed to make sure that they weren't going to show the penis. And, he and was Aussie in... Davis, he was like they were kind of like they were like oh my God, this is great that we got him. But like, they were kind of shocked that he agreed to do it. I mean, they they were just kind of like, and that kind of, that was It's the a great of, role. Oh, it As is. an actor, it's just like, you can't say, for both of them, I'm sure they were like, I can't say no to this, you guys. You're I think talking it's to one the of management those team. if you were just pitched, like you were just like, yeah, Mr. Davis, we want you to play a man who, who thinks that he's JFK and that your brain has been replaced by a bag of sand and the CIA has dyed you black, <laughs> but you are convinced that you have survived the assassination attempt. I think he probably would have said no, but after reading it, like, I mean, it's got great dialogue. There's some great banter back and forth with with Elvis. Um, <laughs> there's a great joke about Marilyn Monroe in it, too. Is there? Yeah. There is, that's right. Right right, right before the final... Um, yeah, right before their... Uh, to, to fight Bubba Hotep. He's just like, Jack, I just gotta know about Marilyn Monroe. And apparently the rea- I can't remember what the response was. Oh, come on, I gotta rem- I you got- gotta remember because I can't remember either. I don't know, but it's great and it was actually improvised by Ossie ah, Davis. No way! Um, <laughs> so if you're listening to this, go back and rewatch the movie again and uh, yeah, that uh, that little quip was all Mr. Mr. Davis. Uh, yeah, this... And it both Bruce Campbell and, and Coscarelli kind of talk about how a movie like this, it's all hands on deck. It's kind of like if you're if you're into the if you're going to do a movie like this, you're committed. Oh yeah, like a hundred percent. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be. Otherwise the otherwise the viewer the audience won't won't buy it. I mean the. It is true that the camera doesn't lie, and it can, you know, but movies, yeah, where am I going with this? Like, you, with this film, if you weren't in it 100% or 150% or more, um, it's just not going to fly. You have to. You have to believe this reality that they're living in. Right, yeah. You know, and uh, if the characters really believe, it's like... It's like what they say about comedy in general. Um, you can't play it for laughs. You've really got to believe what you're doing. You've got to almost play it straight. Right. You know, and yeah. the comedy comes out of that. It's situational. It's circumstantial. And that's what this movie has. You mm-hmm. have Bruce Campbell. I mean, both Bruce Campbell and Ossie Davis in behind the scene interviews said that, okay, I, I'm going to play this. I'm going to play Elvis. Yeah. As if I was Elvis. Yeah. And I'm gonna play this character as if he he believe. 
I'm going to believe that I'm JFK because this character believes that he's JFK. Yeah, you, that's right. Because the ending, you've got to be rooting for them as those people, basically. Right. Because you're in it with them, you know? Right, yeah. So if you're in it with them... You're you're buying that they are saying that they are who they say they are, and that that they're gonna battle this this mummy. And they're not going out without a fight. That's right. Yeah. And it ups the ante completely. Yeah, because it's you're you're right on board there. With mm-hmm. them. You're going into battle mm-hmm. against the <laughs> and right and the and the battle itself is is totally laughable. Oh, it, it really is. is the, you know, with their walkers and their and their wheelchairs, and Elvis uses the wheelchair that. Uh, that JFK used after JFK has uh, saved his soul. He falls asleep. (laughs) He falls asleep in the wheelchair and is attacked by the mummy. (laughs) Elvis attacks the mummy with the walker, and uh, the mummy is just like, no, I'm not having this. And, like, pins Elvis against the tree with his own walker, and then you have Elvis in the final... Yeah. Hops onto the the wheelchair, the electronic wheelchair, and, and just like mows mows him over, mows them, and then they both they both like fall, roll down that hill, down to that swamp or whatever, that body of water. Right, it's hilarious. You see them both rolling, 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 rolling. The mummy and Elvis rolling down this hill together, <laughs> which is just an absurd <laughs> statement that you never think you'd get the same. But, you know, this movie is basically just like so absurd. But it takes it takes itself serious enough that you buy into it. And the characterizations, once again, especially with our two leads, is so developed that um, the absurdity um, the absurdity has weight yes, to it because right. of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's um, yeah. I could see that it's being a hard sell, like probably Lansdale. And I don't think it's a hard sell. Personally, for some reason, but it was, wasn't it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I neither of us work for big. You know, you you go into. Uh, I think MGM eventually picked up the movie, but if you go Which into like wild. Universal Studios and be like, uh, yeah, I got this great idea for a movie. We're gonna have Elvis, who's not dead. He's elder. They're like, oh, wait, what? An elderly Elvis? No, 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 no. You could do a, a Elvis versus a mummy. That's fine, but you got to do young Elvis, like back in the you know back in his youth. No. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. Like, that's why... I mean, I guess like, well, this is why I'm not sitting behind a desk at a movie studio... Right. ...making I zillions do. of dollars, because I would greenlight something like this in, oh, in a heartbeat. Too. But, but like I said, <laughs> I, I think that an easy sell would have been Young Elvis versus a Mummy. Oh, yeah, we'll greenlight something like no. that. No. No. you got to have no. elderly Elvis. you got to have, like, everything... Elderly forgotten Elvis. Yeah. No one's coming to see this Elvis. Nope. Nope. Because well, everyone thinks that he's just an Elvis impersonator. That's right. We're shown through flashbacks yeah. that, that he switched place with uh, Sebastian Half, an Elvis impersonator. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, we're dealing with the real Elvis here. And he said that, um, yeah, it's it, it, going back to the themes. We say, you know, you're like, why would Elvis ever give up all the fame? And it talks about that, like. The real Elvis really had this. Pa- he had the passion for the music, and he had lost it. Like his life had become so grandiose, so under a microscope. Like he's on a. He's got a spotlight and a microscope on top of him. Everything. He had no privacy anymore. No, and there's there's plenty plenty of talk that that Elvis was being heavily surveilled by the CIA. You know, so there is that aspect as well, and that can. 
I'm sure that can that can be very oppressive, you know. So, so that was probably part of his, you know. I mean, the subtext he the subtext is that he wanted to get away from the fame, basically, and yeah. from all the responsibility. He so there might have been back to, being a normal to, person, doing, just being having just barbecues being a in yeah. a trailer park. Yeah, he's yeah. having he's you know hanging out with buddies. But uh, yeah, we, we uh, and but then we get the scene where. Um, the real Elvis, who is reinvigorated. So we have Elvis playing an Elvis impersonator, and we see that last performance before he breaks his hip. Yeah, falls off the stage. Yeah, but he's he's full of he's got he's like I got that vigor back, that that yeah, life back yeah. in me, and then like he, you know he said that you know he th- there was a, a tragic yeah. Uh, trailer park accident that blew up this contract where they could switch <laughs> places, and that the person that took his place had the same love of uh, drugs that apparently Elvis had, and that's what led oh. to the overdose. Oh, so it worked out. Oh, wow, interesting. Mm. Okay. Also, it should be noted this is just a very minor footnote, but uh, Elvis starred with Anne Margaret in Viva Las Vegas, one of the biggest hits that uh, movie-wise that Elvis had had for both of them actually. And and Margaret, I don't know if you know, fell off a stage, I think, around 1969 and severely hurt herself and, and screwed up her face. She had to have some major plastic surgery done to, um, to, to, look, to look okay in front of a camera again or in oh. front of audiences again. So when you see Anne Margaret in movies um, after that time, it's all that face was heavily reconstructed. Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. So I don't know if if um, if the author knew that if Lansdale knew that when he was writing Bubba Hotep and and instead instead of making, you know, made Anne Margaret's experience, Elvis's experience. I don't know. Maybe. Um, just speaking of Lansdale and the the only character, very interesting. The only character that didn't make it from the original novella into the movie was a. Trans character. Yeah, John Dillinger, a sex, post-exchange operation John Dillinger. I actually think that that might have been a little too much for this movie. Not if you, not if you just had it, you know, as an incidental character. Maybe instead you know? of the uh, the Lone Ranger dying, we hit the sex change John Dillinger. Oh, right, because we've got the Lone Ranger too. That's true. We do. Yeah, we... yeah. No, the the meals in this L, in this retirement home are. A gas oh. <laughs> to watch all these characters eating together, and it makes me. I, I, yeah, because what the opening scene, he's like, I wonder what they're making for lunch today. But given the nature of the food that they make, do I care? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, ugh. yep, yeah, it's kind of like you need that little, you need that little spark. It's kind of like you need that spark in life, and you could see that the, these people don't have that spark anymore. Well, they make it for themselves. You know, as as humans will do, you know. So once again, when I've been in, I mean, I've never been in, an, in a retirement home, but in other situations when you're kind of like shacked up together all day long, even when you're making a movie, you know, it's right. kind of similar. Yeah. You're shacked up together all day long. You really, you really, you know, you create bonds and uh, you, you're, you learn to appreciate each other's personalities, and the personalities can be uh, very lively. Right. Yeah. So I went to parochial school for the, fir- the first half of my education. So Did you? Thirty. We we're talking thirty people tops in a classroom. Wow. So like, yeah, you get that kind of close bond, 
and you you have those those eccentric personalities. You have the people that kind of you know. But then when I went to public school, there's you know so many more people. Yeah. Know? But um, well, what did you find? Did you find the bonds were? Did you find the bonds to be stronger when you were in parochial school with your classmates or in your public school? Do you, can you compare? That's a whole. That could be a whole different podcast. Very, very, okay, so it's safe to say it's safe to say very different bonds. Very different bonds because in the case of a smaller uh, class size, it's the bonds sometimes have to be forced. Mm. You know, you're, in, in you're, public school, you can kind of choose your bonds. Okay. That's what I'll say. Okay. But it, it, I, the point that I was going to make is that this movie is kind of a prime example of, like, you always have that, uh, what did they say? They say one bad apple spoiled a bunch. You always have that one asshole. Oh, yeah. And we have that asshole, and this old lady. Yeah, goes around. Yeah, go ahead. She, <laughs> her open. Uh, she, basically, her character, she has one line. But her, they establish her character entirely through her actions. We we're given. It's funny because they're like, well, it's a horror movie, so you have to have that opening kill. You have to have that first, the first victim. You have this old lady who you see her walking slowly down the hall, comes across this other woman who's in an iron lung. Takes her glasses. Yeah. Steals her glasses off her face. Steals her glasses off of her face. There's a deleted scene where she's stealing more shit from somebody else's room. Yeah. She takes, she she likes the... uh, (laughs) The thrill of it. She likes the frame. She likes this picture frame. Just the frame. She takes out someone's grandson, picture of her grandson, rips it up to pieces and throws it in the trash. Crumples it up, yeah. But then, <laughs> so, but we're given her this comeuppance when this, this beetle comes and terrorizes her. <laughs> and then she's got, she, so she battles, she, yes, you have an old lady battling a beetle. <laughs> a big ass beetle that looks like a cockroach, kind of. And she calls it a caca ro- <laughs> Kakaka roach. Somehow she managed to make it three syllables <laughs> and put the word kaka in. Yeah, but like yeah, she managed. To make, but uh, yeah, she eventually gets a. Uh, she gets a comeuppance, and Bubba Hotep gets her. Yeah, but it's an unfortunate comeuppance. No one really deserves to have their uh, their soul sucked out of them hey. through their orifice, and then you know, and then kept from. From going wherever it needs to go after death. Well, what? This you're lady like had rolling. A com- this lady. You're had like ah. Uh, this lady. Oh, had come a com- on. She's a little klepto. Big deal. No one deserves to have klepto? that. But still, she took someone's. She doesn't need glasses. She took this poor woman's who can't move in an iron lung's glasses. But these are inanimate objects. That thing took her soul. You know, I don't care. You know, I, I mean, maybe if you're an ex-murderer, but you know, but it's like. Your soul is supposed to learn from oh. this lifetime and go on with that, you know, to the next thing with that with that experience. And then, you know, theoretically, you either go to heaven or hell, or if you get reincarnated, you work that out. I mean, there's no chance for her to be working out her karma. You well, know, ladies her... and gentlemen, once again, here on the Cold Film Companion Podcast, we are speculating on the psychology of fictional characters in these bizarre movies that we watch. Okay, fair enough. She probably does not deserve to have her soul sucked out of her ass, but um, she had she had something coming to her. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, uh... it's a good setup within the framework of the movie. You see it, you're like, oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> you better gonna, watch out. I want something bad that this happened to this lady. Maybe, you know, 
But, um, yeah, so this movie, uh, it, it, it's, it, it made its name on f- the film festival scene. And uh, that's kind of eventually got snapped up by MGM. and um, So they, they released it. MGM did end up releasing it. It's uh yeah MGM's on the the if you look there you can see my DVD right there you'll you'll did, see the the lion it, right there. Did it have a release in theaters? Did MGM yes release it in theaters? Yes, outside of the it's, festival circuit. Yeah, it started circulating in the festival circuit in two thousand and two, and then two thousand and three. It made it, some. It started. It, it started kind of propping up, probably in not. I would. And say this is really an art house film, but it probably kind of in some larger markets probably kind of started to uh, percolate. Yeah, okay. and get have a the, run, get some screenings here and there. Okay, you know. okay. But this movie was never intended to be like seen at an IMAX theater, or anything right? Like that, right? Um, if you saw an yeah. Oh, I would go see it, but, you know. Well, <laughs> then you see all those prosthetics, like, up close. I always notice people's pores in their faces and their complexions a, when I'm it's a little seeing too, an IMAX, yeah, IMAX movie. Yeah, high def is a little too much. Yeah. yeah you, know, you, get to, you literally get to see the warts in all of some people. But, um, but uh, uh, you know, you get something like this shot on film. You can tell it's shot on film. There's just like yeah. a richness to it. Love it. Um, Love things shot on film. Different. Coscarelli was very. Uh, he's just he's old school, so he he used different stocks for uh, different film speeds for different scenes. And cool. It's just like you know, it's just. Uh, and a lot of dark lighting for the interiors when they're roaming the halls. Right. That and I, that took some uh, some knowledge. And I think that there's just kind of the thing that they were talking about. When you have such a limited budget, it makes you a little bit more creative. Yeah. You can only spruce up some, you know, you only have so much money for production design. So you got to figure, okay, well, we want, really want, you know, Elvis's room is very sparse. Mm-hmm. So that's very easy. So we could put a little bit more money. We don't spend very much time in, in Jack's room, but like, the time that we do, we are like Jesus Christ. Like, this, is, this is this is what JFK, you know, a black JFK, what have He's got. It's immaculate, first of all. It looks it looks like it belongs in the Oval. It looks like it belongs in the White House. It does. <laughs> yeah. It kind of looks like well, yeah. this would be like the Kennedy bedroom yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, just very specific choices, um, and just it's just it's special. It's one of those movies. It's very you could tell that it's very special. Um, because the people that get it get it, mm-hmm. you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like it's a it's a common theme here on the show. It's like one of those movies that you're just like the people that know, they know, mm-hmm. and the people that don't know, like eventually the word gets out to them, and they're like, "Geez, you know, this is something. This is something to check out. Mm-hmm. This is something. Mm-hmm. You, you could truly say you'll never see a movie like this. I mm-hmm. mean, where else are you gonna see mm-hmm. anything you're not. like this? You know, you're well." I mean, I'm racking my brain, but of course I'm not going to think of anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> There's got to be maybe something that comes close, but I can't think of anything. It kind of, it feels like a movie that, you know, back in the day, like, you had, like, El, uh, Abbott and Costello meet the, meet Frankenstein. Meet the mummy. I think they have an Abbott Costello or, meets the mummy. Yeah, meet Frankenstein. Uh-huh. It's like, this is just, like, you take two things from, like, these very different 
you take Elvis, and then you take an ancient mummy, and you're like, all right, let's put it together. Yeah. A little jash of JFK. Oh, and by the way, let's set it in uh, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, it's just right. It's like, who comes up with this stuff? Right. You know? But of course, once again, underneath it all is this wonderful little uh, buddy relationship. Right. And that's that's the... That's the heart and soul and of depend, this movie. And depending on your age, when I first saw this in 2002, you know, that was almost 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, it was like half my age. Yeah, it was like half, literally half my age now. Yeah. Well, and um, I remember 2002 like it was yesterday. So going back, like the things reflecting on... Um, reflecting That's, on your past, it's like it, it didn't really sit with me at the time... Because I was only 20-something. Okay, know? did you see it back then? 2002? Yeah. Yeah, remember I told you when it came up in the movie store. That's right, I'm sorry. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Short-term memory loss. <laughs> uh, so, so were you able to kind of relate to it more this time? Absolutely. Watching? Okay, Absolutely. As, as you're older. Yeah. Sure. Because I think when I was, you know, 20-something, when I first saw it, it was just kind of like, I was a huge Evil Dead fan. I had no idea who Ozzy Davis was. I didn't really like Elvis or his music, but of course, everybody, regardless, it's just one of those things. Everybody knows Elvis. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it was just kind of like, oh my god, Elvis fighting a mummy. Yeah, I'll check this movie out. And of course, you liked it even. Oh back yeah, then. yeah, yeah. But like, Some... I, I think it's one of those movies that, depending on your age or depending on the your mindset. Well, when you watch it, like it, it'll hit you on different levels, and I yeah. think that's the sign of a not just good cinema, but like a, a cult movie. Like like different times in your life when you see it, it'll hit you at different with different kind of um, an emotional impact, or just yeah, it'll resonate with you in a different kind of way. Yeah, you know, now that I'm 20 years older <laughs> than the first, you know, when I first saw this movie, I'm thinking. Oh my God, my rec- like my reckless youth, like you know, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like, mm-hmm. and then like you were saying, mm-hmm. like like I I that that um that third act of life, yeah, the third act, you know, when you're in a retirement home and you're older, yeah, kind of like like well, I have that one last adventure, yeah, like, like it, it kind of makes you, but it, like you said, it's a very it's a like unfortunately. I mean, obviously, we spoil everything. The, the mummy dies, Elvis dies, or does he? We're not sure if he dies. It's, given that tumble and that wound that he has and the fact that God knows when someone's going to find him. Yeah. Uh, JFK is dead. Uh, you know, yeah. you're just like... Their souls have been saved. They've saved their own mm-hmm. souls and they've saved future souls. I also want to bring up that this movie was probably made... Before 9-11, and I say this because I noticed back then a definite change in movies post 9-11. And there was a creativity that was happening in movies abundantly before 9-11. And then that did change. Things seemed to go back to a very, very standard uh, format afterwards. So this this is one of those movies that was still uh, abundant in creativity before things changed, just right. want to, I just yeah. want to say that because I, I re- can see that. yeah 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 um, was certainly written before nine eleven so right with anything and um, yeah so even if it wasn't filmed after nine eleven it was still it was written and it was very it's a very faithful adaptation so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah, you got to say, you know, the, you, the little sparks of creativity. Maybe it wouldn't have been as dark. I don't know if the movie would have been made to tell you the truth. I'm not sure. That's says that's how that's how much movies changed. Yeah. At that time, at that juncture, even the mainstream movies. Because you want something a little bit more uh, optimistic. Well, maybe not as there was there was a there was a shift towards a kind of military esque type of uh, format or aesthetic with films after nine eleven. I mean, I'm you know hmm. I'm talking, yeah. That is, that is what I noticed. Sure, yeah, you got to, for a movie, you know, it's set in a retirement home, an old age home. It's, it's kind of a depressing setting. Oh, but but it's, <laughs> you know, it. I still, it didn't depress me that much. It really didn't. Like I was like, look at this cool place that they're in, and yeah, it's it's shabby and down and out, but um, it's still ripe for adventure. Even if sure. it's between two people, you know, even without a mummy, like you could still find a buddy to have adventures with, you know. Right. This you, type of... you, despite their mental faculties not being maybe as sharp. Yeah, and as... despite the fact that they're in a rundown home, basically. Yeah, it's you know, not the which nice... could be very depressing, and it is for these characters. They don't. It... They don't really want to be ending up like this. Who does? No, Who does? Especially so you're the right. King, especially the king of the rock and roll and one of the most uh, well, and a former president. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know you. <laughs> but uh, so the rule rule of thumb for uh, our show is to be we try not to go longer than the uh, the movie itself. So we're gonna start um, wrapping it up. Start winding down. Yeah. If, uh, if I may, sure. I did do a Wikipedia search on Hotep. Um, and there's a little more than what's told in the movie. Uh, Hotep, I'm re- reading verbatim. Hotep is an Egyptian word that roughly translates as, quote, to be satisfied at peace, unquote. Mm. Yeah, so that's a different interpretation than what we're given at the beginning of the movie with that, uh, with the definition on oh, the yeah. screen. Uh, the word also refers to an offering ritually presented to a deity or a dead person, hence to be pleased, be gracious, be at peace. It is rendered in hieroglyphics as an altar offering table. The noun means peace, contentment, interprets the concept as a result of action in accord with M-A-A-T, which means the proper order of the universe. Wow. Yeah. So there's, there is stuff going on here. With the Egyptian aspect of the of the film yeah, and the story I'm, I'm, itself, I'm curious now to see what Lonsdale, if he he did that much. Um, oh, I'm, I think he did. I think he would have known. Probably. And, and w- as with Repo Man, um, part of the appeal is the information that's withheld as well as the information that's given. It's kind of the same thing here. I want to know more about the Egyptian aspect. I can't really get to know more yeah. about it. So, like, there's that. Uh, Enigma, but it makes it. sense now that Elvis is at peace. With, mm-hmm. You know, he he kind of makes peace with his past before he goes into this final battle. Mm-hmm. You know, and so does JFK. Mm-hmm. It's still, still absurd statements to be making. Oh, uh, but, uh, but it's it's yeah, fabulous. It's yeah, awesome. It's uh, yeah. So they make peace with themselves, where where they were where they came from to where they are now to the fact that, you know, this final confrontation might not, you know, 
they know that they're past their prime, so you know maybe this this confrontation might be their last. This might be the last jolt of life of excitement that they they either one of them have. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one more thing I want to bring up. Uh, it's once again I'm reading verbatim. When Elvis meets the mummy named Bubba Hotep for the first time, he sees how the mummy died. That's the visions that we're talking about, I yes, think. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. And what happened before he came to terrorize the rest home. Before he died, he was a pharaoh who was assassinated. Assassination? Who was assassinated by his royal priests. I don't know if this is in the short story, this, this information that I'm reading. I think it is. We don't know... We don't know why they killed him, but we see him being seduced by two women, and then later a priest jams a hook through his nose while he's alive and awake and removes his brain, which yeah, is that what they did, of, yeah, which is when, when the they mummy. mummified, mummification, right. Mm-hmm. The mummy is an evil soul-sucking fiend, but you still feel bad about the way he died. Okay, that's it. Yeah, and we, we get the, the uh, Coscarelli talked about how, um, you know, for for one day, they kind of hired a bunch of extras and got some whatever Egyptian artifacts they could have and to if, pull it off. Yeah, but you you're given a very you know it's a it's like they're f- literally flash just like scenes that flat like you get a quick scene images. Of, yeah, just really rapid fire kind of things. Yeah, like a it's a hallucination. It's, yeah, it's hallucin hallucinatory. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, just a very interesting kind of like aspect, um, you know. And given the budget, they had to make some very creative choices. And well, it goes back to what David Lynch was saying, and what we've talked about, and what even you and Phyllis have talked about. Uh, that that David Lynch himself says he works better under constraints because he's forced to make uh, decisions that are around those constraints and sure. it makes it stimulates the imagination so yeah and i could just i'll just speak briefly about uh coscarelli and um the movie system i think i mentioned this to you before we started recording so phantasm was a was a big independent hit um in 1979 and universal kind of wanted a piece of this action so they gave him a a big budget for Phantasm 2. But they insisted on recasting the lead because they wanted some name value there. So he kind of he kind of butted heads with them hmm. about that. He's very he he's just much more of a an independent kind of film guy. Kind of like David Lynch, kind yeah, of, you know, yeah. you just Well, in that interview with Coscarelli, he was talking about um I think he was writing the screenplay or a treatment for Bubba Hotep, and he was doing it, I think, in Texas. I, maybe he lives there. I'm not, I'm not sure. But he was saying basically that when you, you know, it, it's exciting to write a treatment or to write a screenplay outside of Hollywood because it kind of inspires the rebel in you. You know, you're sitting at your typewriter and you're just like, "Ha ha, finance yeah. this, motherfuckers!" Yeah. You know, type of thing. <laughs> so that you know that rebel quality is in this movie in spades, in my opinion. Yeah, and just going back to Phantasm, as far as... Phantasm is a very dreamlike, almost hallucinatory kind of horror movie. Like, okay. you don't know... 
I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah, and I don't, don't even be, know if it was the first one that I saw. Is it a waking nightmare? Is this an alternate universe? Yep. Um, it's not as straightforward as something like Halloween, which is just a bunch of, or Friday the 13th, or even... Which are reality-based. Very reality-based, yeah. kind of straightforward. Uh-huh. you got a killer. He's going to chop you up. There's a lot more going on with Phantasm. There's, that, it's a lot more just... That floating ball that goes around. It's a lot more heady, I'll say. There's a okay. lot more kind of like, to, there's a lot to chew on uh, because it's not very, it's not a straightforward kind of. There's a surrealness to it. Yeah. yeah. Like is the, the, the yeah, the things that are. And those hyper realities are always more interesting, you know, in yeah. film. You know, yeah. you, you kind of, it does send your imagination going. And, you know, it is a horror movie, but, like, the body counts aren't up there with the other kind of franchises. Okay. It's, it's a lot more... About the adventure of it, really. It is. It's even more, if it's, it's a scary it's like a, adventure. It's like a... Yeah, it's yeah. more of a... Like a, even one of the movies is kind of basically like a road movie. It's kind of like these these characters... I don't know if... We'll, we, we'll probably get to Phantasm at some point, but... um, uh. Don Coscarelli just a, a kind of a, a an underrated director. Um, sure, I would say kind that. of kind of better, unlike someone who who never got the name value or the name cachet, the name popularity like someone like Wes Craven got or mm-hmm. John Carpenter mm-hmm. got. Um, mm-hmm. I could theorize on that, but I won't. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I won't take it there. He was much more. Yeah, he's. But much, he does seem like an outsider, someone who marches to his own beat. E, right, and that's and a I, big part of w- whether you're in Hollywood or not. Yeah, the or in you, crowd. Yeah, you're or you're kind of on the fringe. Yeah, and kind yeah. of. Uh, and I think it's probably better to be on the fringe, in my opinion. Yeah, and this is not the first time that he was the youngest director at the time to sell the first movie he made i think when he was 19 and the, the title is escaping me but it was an independently produced drama that was picked up by a major you know motion picture picked up by a major com- company so he, he he made some history for himself and and we were talking about how young he looks like the interview that i saw might be 20 years old but still he looked like he was in his 20s in the 2000s yeah, I couldn't you could, believe we, it. Yeah, we were talking. He's someone that he, he takes very good care of himself. We've just like been blessed yeah. with some really good genetics. I that, know. That, um, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, Coscarelli, Bruce Campbell, Ossie Davis, Ella Joyce, Bob Ivy. It's Joe Lansdale. Uh, I, I, I. It's. Don't you want to? Don't you want to hang out with these peeps? Absolutely, like all of them, all Espe- of them, Espe- and even 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 especially Ella. Just like sit down and hang with them, talk about the movie, sure, but you know, have a few brews and and keep the conversation going, and who knows where it's going to go. So we, before we wrap up this, we didn't talk a lot about Ella Joyce, uh, but she's I've seen her in other stuff. I did an IMDb check. I didn't recognize. I remember the show Rock. Okay, I do remember that show it was on Fox. Um, oh God, what was the actor's name that portrayed Rock? Very well-known actor. Um, but she's great. She adds, um, something special to the movie. Um, 
because she is the lead uh, female character. And I think it would have been very easy to have a kind of a nurse ratchet, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like evil nurse. Um, but she's not. No, she's very kind of cynical. <laughs> she's she's like, I don't mind calling you Elvis, but I just, you know, just like a reality check that yeah. like... <laughs> The story that you're selling, Mr. Presley, is not one that every everyone's going to be buying. <laughs> yep. And I, I know there's the one scene where um, Elvis tells her off. <laughs> and um, some people were critical about that. They were like, well, you know, you, you know, he was kind of mean to her um, in that one scene. But it Well, was but just... he's, he's, he's reclaiming his own... Uh... I don't want to say independence, pride. He's reclaiming his own pride when he retaliates to on her, and it's done in such a, in such a, not, even though he's threatening her, he's, it's so non-threatening. Yeah, he's so he's he, like he's snappy, he's threatening to like but, attack her with his with his walker. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's just that he's not. He's he was years of her treating him like a baby, yeah, like a child, yeah, and he's, and he's like, like enough. I was the king. Uh, I was the king of rock and roll. Yeah, I am a man. Yeah, I'm not, you, know, you know, back off, re- lady. Back off, lady. You know. <laughs> so, just an overall great movie. Um, and I'm glad that uh, I mean, it was one of the movies when I put it on the list for the show. I was like, I was like, is Andrew gonna like this? Oh come on. <laughs> You should know me better by now. I should have known better. I should have just gone with my gut instinct. Of course he's going to like something like this. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's got something. I do Nick's movies. I know, I know for the listener, I know that Chris has to find another host to do Caligula with. So uh, I won't do it. (laughs) But, but with something like Baba Hotep, oh, bring it on. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so that being said, uh, we are uh, gearing up. We are part of the Blind Knowledge, Blind Knowledge Collective. Google Blind Knowledge. Check out their other shows on their their on their website. Uh, we will be joining them there. You'll be able to find our show there for the time being. Please join us on the Facebook page, the Cult Film Companion, on Instagram, Cult Film Companion with underscores, Twitter. Getting some great feedback from people at the Cult Film Comp on Twitter is the best way to interact with us. You can also email us at the Cult Film Companion. I actually just got an interesting movie recommendation today there. Uh, Twitter, Instagram feedback is all wonderful. Come interact with us on all of those platforms. This this show is all about growing uh, a cult a cult following for our cult show if that makes any sense whatsoever but thank you so much for joining us and remember to keep it cult watch cult movies spread the love of these these films that don't get enough appreciation especially something like Bubba Hotep um yeah good night